Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 22, Intro to HF Communications. My name is Jeremy, and as always, I will be your host. Today, I'm joined by Wyoming Survival, an outdoorsman and comms enthusiast who's pushing education to his fellow citizens. So, turn up the volume and put your listening ears on as we dive into the world of HF Communications. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up And another episode for comms. And to join me today is Wyoming Survival. What's up, buddy? Not much. How's it going? Just uh, another day. A Sunday afternoon, really. Perfect time for a little little comms chat. Heck yeah. You uh, want to kind of introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and what you're about? All right. Yeah, I'm Tony. Um, I run Wyoming Survival. Uh, .org is my website, which is a training school. Um, also have my Instagram page, Wyoming Survival. Um, no law enforcement, no military background, just a, a civilian that turned into a training junkie uh, a long time ago. So um, I teach firearms, blacksmithing, um, yeah, you've got a, tactics a little bit. You've got uh, pretty bombs. big, pretty wide range of stuff that you kind of cover. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, oh. Most of your Instagram content's really kind of focused towards comm. I feel like at least it has been recently. Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying the comms. Um, I'm enjoying teaching it. Actually, last weekend was uh, in the Midwest teaching a private two day comms class. Nice. So, did yeah. did Florida man go to that, or was that just like an unrelated thing that he did when he set up that HF antenna in his hotel room? That so I was me in the hotel room, and that was during the class. Oh, okay. I, f- I feel like yeah. I thought Florida Man posted that and it said Wyoming Survival told me to or something like that. Maybe I'm thinking well, something Well, yeah. Different. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. He posted his, yeah, because I had posted mine when I was down there doing the class. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now I remember. Yeah, and I actually hit uh, Wilderness Comms from the motel room. So nice. pretty cool. Yeah, with that compromised antenna. Yeah, I am – I'm waiting – the last thing I'm waiting on for my – HF setup is the battery and the updated power cable, and then I'm ready to roll. Uh, no, I, I didn't. You got you got the G90, right? I did. I got the G90, um, and I got a ton of just miscellaneous supplies because I'm just going to make all my own dipoles. Nice. Um, I live out on like 10 acres, so having the space to kind of play around with things um, is on my side. I'm not necessarily constrained to like a suburban backyard. Yeah. I used to be, and it was, uh, and then the, the, the noise, that's the other thing you're going to enjoy is the lack of noise mm-hmm. on HF compared to in town is miserable. Yeah, I bet. I, I could, I could see that as well, man. I feel like HF has really kind of blown up specifically in the past few weeks, as far as like the, the guys we talk to on Instagram, like on that side of the comms community, HF's gotten really popular. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has. I think everyone's, and then there's. You know, you get all excited when you're like, man, I just, I just hit, you know, did a direct contact with a guy across the country with no infrastructure whatsoever. It was all your own, both of your own infrastructure. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite a feeling. Yeah. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about it is that HF is, I mean, it's all you. Yeah. And, and yeah, if, whether it works or it doesn't work, most of the time is going to be on you, give or take, give or take the atmosphere and whatnot a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I, I was. Uh, I can't remember when I got my general, but it was probably the start of the bottom, start of the bottom of the solar cycle. Yeah, because we've had some bad years. I yeah. mean, uh, I was trying to work through the bottom, and uh, I got a friend in Florida, and we couldn't make contact for anything. Voice was impossible. There was no voice to Florida, mm-hmm. and then finally, with uh, what was it JT sixty five. We were finally able to make contact. That's the only way we could get each other from here to Florida um, was JT-65. And now now it's come up. The solar cycle's come up so much. I mean, I can hit I can hit all day. I think we, him and I turned our radios all the way down. Uh, I don't know what the bottom of the ICOMs are. I think maybe two watts, maybe one. Anyway, we um, with uh, JSA call, we were 
able to make contact still in Florida. So the, the solar system cycle is definitely getting way better. And that's the crazy part about HF is that it your power output almost doesn't matter in most cases. Whereas like on the VHF and UHF side, guys are constantly trying to push more power to try and gain that little bit of extra distance with the line of sight. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing what you can do with five five watts. You know, um, mm-hmm. Florida man and I were just back and forth with five watts, and I was running. What was I running the other day? Maybe 20, and my DB level wasn't really any different than his five watts coming this way. So we were pretty close, the same. And that's why I wasn't really too concerned. At first, I, I was hesitant on the G90 because it only has the 20 watt max power output. But then, it, you know, really the more I thought about it, I was like, for what I'm trying to do at the introductory level right now with HF, like that's really not a really big determining factor. Yeah, I usually don't recommend. For most people to you know to buy a, low, a QRP a low power radio at first because mm-hmm. it is like if it, especially if it was during the low solar cycle because it's a little irritating. Yeah. But I mean right now everybody's getting through so I mean <laughs> yeah with with five watts. I can say that my purchase decision was solely uh, financially based. Yeah, that's just I'm tackling so many comms projects right now and I only, I'm on such limited funds. It would. That and I was able to get a good deal in this G90. It was just kind of worth doing at the time, just to get my feet wet with HF, and you know maybe in the future, given that everything doesn't fall apart after June first, um, I can come back and expand because it won't be my last HF rig. I'll be honest with myself. Oh yeah, yeah. I I uh, I, well, I counted up the other night. I think I have seven. Yeah, I think seven of them. Damn, that's yeah. impressive. So, I mean, I guess for for those that really don't know, you know, what are the what, what's the big differences between HF versus VHF versus U, and UHF? Because they're two completely different monsters. Yeah. Um. Mainly, it's the signal propagation, the way the mm-hmm. signal comes off your antenna, and you know the the distance you're going to get with uh, HF over VHF UHF. Uh, VHF UHF for the most part is line of sight. I mean, mm-hmm. you you got to be able to see the the two antennas for the most part have to be able to see each other. They do have a little bit of over the horizon capability, but for the most part, they're line of sight. Um, mm-hmm. HF is when you you know like like here where I'm at, you got a mountain in between you and the contact you need to make. Um, there's no way without a repeater. There's no way VHF UHF is going over that mountain, and that is where uh, HF radio comes in. And I mean, and really, like with that, what you said right there, with big obstacles or long distances without a repeater, that's where HF comes in. And repeaters for VHF UHF side, specifically if we're talking digital, that's a lot of money to get invested into. You're talking much more than an HF rig setup if we're talking oh, about yeah. repeaters. Um, yeah. Especially digital repeaters. I mean, you're talking four digit ball range uh, with, with that. They're, they're definitely expensive. And the other thing I and the other thing that's unfortunate about it, and I think I've talked about it when I had Mojave repeater on, was that um, it's you, you can't really there's really it's not super easy to link your repeaters without like an internet source or um, something like that. It's like there are, there are miscellaneous ways you can link your repeaters through different transceivers and whatnot, but Conventionally speaking, linking repeaters and being on your own independent system isn't easy. Yeah, I would. I remember that podcast you guys did, and I was thinking, man, that's that's tough. Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to get that link, and then, yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the main way you see them linked anymore is is with the internet. So yeah. it makes me wonder a lot because, like, because I'm in the first responder service, and the only reason these hot that we use, you know, we're in seven eight hundred megahertz. The only reason we're able to use that anywhere we want, anywhere in the county, is because you know municipal government has spent millions putting repeaters everywhere. It always makes me think like if you know the linking source to that goes down. I mean, our radios are basically kaput. Yeah, that'll be the end. So, I don't think yeah, ever t- that, that, you know, that needs to be something I bring up. I should bring that up. That- they they spend a lot of money on infrastructure, and that's why some of this stuff works. You know, mm-hmm. we've got minimal money for our infrastructure, so we've got to you know make the best of it. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where that you know the HF radio comes in, where we don't have to put the repeater on the hill. Mm-hmm. Now I do have I do have that 
uh, in each own uh, 578. And mm -hmm. if I needed to, I can use that as a repeater, um, mm. a DMR repeater or a crossband repeater. So I just throw that in my truck if I had to drive up on the, or, you know, or pack it up to the top of the hill. And mm. I can at least get over the mountain columns if I needed to. Yeah. So with HF... But, and that's that's not super expensive, so... No. I, I think the uh, the lunchbox from Mojave Repeater 2, that's not exact... That's uh, pretty cost-efficient as well, too. Yeah. I've considered is. getting one just for, like, just kind of screw-around purposes and just testing and whatnot. Um, yeah. And if, you're, and if you're not a person that's super, like, security-concerned, you're not running digitally encrypted comms, maybe you're just, like, family preparedness in a sense, it's probably not you know, as big of a deal to just run some analog repeaters. Oh, no, um, no. I think, it, I mean, if you're not worried about any of that and you just need to get the range, definitely that's the way to go. Yeah. I guess I've said it before on a previous podcast episodes, and I've said it with other guys, is like we're almost at the point that a lot of us are experimenting in fields that the civilian side of the comms market was never meant to satisfy. So we're trying to like make different things happen right now. Yeah. Like for example, we're messing around with the XTL 5000 man packs. So we could have the digital encrypted man pack. And the issue we're having at the moment is finding a good adapter cable that we could run instead of like a, instead of like running the radio to an external speaker that how most mobile radios run, at least for the XTL 5000, that's how it is. We have to try and find an adapter cable to tie that into something else, like an earpiece, or I don't know. It's uh, we're it's it's definitely a snag in the road I've ran into because you can't use the shoulder mics as output; it's only input. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some problems trying to integrate this stuff, and there's a lot, you know I think I said on the last, one of the last podcasts too I was on. It's, it's compromise. You know, you can't get everything you want. I know I'm I'm in the same boat with like with the rest of you guys. I'm like, man, what you know? What do I want to give up to have this other uh, capability? Mm -hmm. And it's it is a little irritating. It's a lot of irritating. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, then you got guys like comms and logistics and whatnot that are the guys that really have the resources and the know how that are trying to like make fixes in the field like his little project he's got going on right now is pretty nifty there's there's lots of guys that are that are trying to do different stuff oh there def there definitely is and they're smart so yeah it just takes time yeah um but like i said before uh you know kind of want to stay hf focused for this episode um and i kind of wanted to start this off with some general tips you give to um you know, new guys that message you on Instagram or, you know, uh, you know, basically I just want a little bit of a know-how to get started in HF. Well, you need to first off know which, uh, bands function, uh, which way they propagate the signals will help you the, uh, the most of getting a contact that you want. Mm -hmm. Um, so like 20 meters is more of a long distance band and that is uh, 14 the 14 megahertz range so if you're trying to you know you're trying to stretch across the united states especially during the day you'd want to stay on 20 meters you'd want to try that first mm -hmm. um, 40 meters 80 meters 60 meters and 160 meters are all you know they're all more they're invis bands so invis is near vertical incident sky wave so if you're wanting to get over the mountain like we talked about before get over the mountain that's in between you and who you need to make contact with mm -hmm. those would be the bands that you would stick to to make those contacts mm -hmm. um, for, 40 meters goes long at night so in the evening when 20 kind of dies out a little bit 40 meters is you swap over to 40 and you can start start making those across the, uh, across the US contacts on 40 meters but just knowing, knowing kind of the SOP of that, knowing where, where you know what these, what mm -hmm. these bands do, is a big thing to know. Um, also, speaking of SOPs, knowing that um, 30 meters and up, everyone's going to be on upper sideband voice and digital, mm -hmm. and then 40 meters and down, um, voice is going to be on lower sideband and digital is going to be on upper sideband. You kind of need to know that if you want to find traffic. Mm -hmm. 
So those are some other things. What about, because I guess, I guess one big reason guys may invest into HF, if we're talking about kind of local preparedness in a sense, is they may not necessarily need to talk from, you know, Indiana to Florida or North Carolina to Colorado, whatever that might be. They may be just trying to talk, you know, maybe 40, 50 miles away, maybe two counties away. Um, what are the bands that they should probably stick to for either data or voice on the shorter distance side? I would stick to 40 meters during the day seems to work the best and mm -hmm. 80 meters, 80 meters at night. Um, I haven't really done 80. I'm not saying it doesn't work 80 meters during the day. I just haven't really messed with. And it may, mm -hmm. I think you still get invis, uh, during the night or during the day, not the night you get them on both on 80 meters, but 40 meters on the day. If it's during the daylight, you need to make a contact 40 miles away. Definitely 40 meters. Um, mm -hmm. it works quite well. Um, and I have lots of videos to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot of like, uh, content that's like, I did this, watch me do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I got the, I got my general license, which put me into the HF world. And when I was doing like everyone else, I was just making contacts and, you know, just through my training, just the training I've had, you know, uh, all my small unit tactics training and stuff like that. I was like, why am I trying to talk to someone across the U.S.? I need to make, I don't know, I need to see how to make HF usable for me. You know, mm -hmm. how I, I need to, I want to try to contact a specific person on HF, not just make a contact uh, just for fun to log it. And mm -hmm. so that's when I really started focusing uh, more on Invis antenna setups. Mm -hmm. And then um, I had to find a way to get to test whether or not I could talk and where I could hit, you know, if I could do direct contacts. So I set up a computer at my house with JS8 call that has an auto reply hooked up to the radio. And I took the other radio set up and another computer and I jetted out in different directions and started throwing antennas up and seeing what kind of direct contact I could make back to the house. Mm. And that's kind of the same boat that I'm in as I'm not really getting into HF to just as a hobby and to just make random contacts, I'm kind of doing it as a way of not only just increasing the co internal comms capabilities of, you know, us here at the local level, but also just to, you know, keep tabs and experiment with, you know, all of you guys that, you know, I've made friends with, you know, through social media, you know, if we ever lose contact because we get banned or the internet goes down or whatever, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to see what's going on in other portions of the country through, you know, you know, mutual acquaintances and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so we talked about bands, uh, when it comes to actual transceivers, um, it does, does price is price really going to matter a ton when we're talking about the beginning phases of HF and guys that are really just trying to get into the hobby. Like, is that $500 radio really going to matter as much in comparison to a $2,000 model? Um, there's going to be some differences. I don't I don't even have a $2,000 model because I don't want to spend that money. Mm -hmm. um, if you really want to – for me, if I, someone was asking me and they had the funds for a recommendation of that first HF one, I would recommend the ICOM 718. It's a 100-watt yeah, base station, and it's super simple. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of menus on it. Um, you're not going to get super confused. Um, the the I have the Yasu FT817 and 857, and mm -hmm. those are so menu driven that as you're going through there, you hit you hit a wrong button, you may not you may not get the thing working. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just it's overly menu driven. So I really recommend that the 718. Um, as you know, if, if you got the funds, I think they're running, I don't even know, I don't know if they discontinued them. They might have, I think they're running somewhere like just shy of 700 right now. Yeah. And that was the second radio I bought was that 718. And mm -hmm. that's it. You know, if you're just wanting to have it for your house. Um, but if you don't have the funds, I right now after running it and Florida man's running it and we got a few other guys running it, that, that true SDX $150 gets you a radio that's five ounce i think it's five, four ounces i think i weighed it i think it's four or five ounces. Yeah, it's small it's and like it will, the size of a wallet yeah it's tiny and it'll do 20 uh what's it do 20 40 60 and 80 i think is what it does which is really all you need mm -hmm. and we've gotten across the country with it i when i got it i left it running 
on JSA call for two weeks straight. Damn. Just sitting there running all day, day in and day out. And I had my JSA call on auto reply. So anytime anyone called a heartbeat out, it would reply. So it was actually going and it, it, I didn't have one problem with it. Um, you got to buy, if you want to do digital, you got to buy a digi rig and then digi rig sells some cables to go mm-hmm. with it. But I mean, you can't beat that, you know, basically under $200, you've got a HF radio. Sure. Well, so the, 100, 150 for just the radio, and then if you want to go digital, you got to get the digi rig and the cable. So I mean, that's that's hard to beat right there. Which also is not, which uh, the digi rig and the adapter cables is not much when you add it on top of that. You're still not even at the price of like a normal base station for an HF unit. No, not even close. Um, and for those that don't know, the true SDX, um, it's a little orange box. With, it doesn't even have any buttons or anything on it. You run it through an SDR to like a Toughbook or a Panasonic tablet or, or something like that. I've thought about getting one. I, I I was talking to Florida Man before I bought the G90. Civil Sentinel got the G90, and Florida Man got the um, the True SDX. I ended up going with the G90 just just because I watched a lot of YouTube review videos on it. I was like, this seems pretty straightforward. Um, plus it had the antenna tuner in it, so I was like, this is kind of nice. Um, but as far as like being compact and, you know, maybe like we're talking like a backpacking uh, perspective, you know, if you're talking about transportable comms, that thing is not taking up much space at all. No, no, not at all. And then I've got it set up with that Evolve computer, mm-hmm. uh, that small laptop, which is about the same size as my Microsoft Surface Pro, and that thing only cost me $100 through Walmart. So I've got a, a full digital setup for under $300, counting the DigiRig, the radio, and the, the computer. Nice. Yeah, this... Yeah, so... As far as a budget option goes, I'll probably, uh, I probably need to get this True SDX and play around with that as well and see if that's worth getting comparison to my for my local guys over the G90. Yeah. Um, and like you said, yeah, the di- the DigiRig stuff isn't, you know, expensive in the grand scheme of things to, to add on to everything. No. The one thing I don't like about the SDRs is they're not very uh, Windows friendly in a sense. At least everything that I've tried to run with it so far, especially like different scanner software and whatnot that I'm trying to run with my SDR, Windows just does not seem to play well with it. <laughs> I I have I can get the SDR sharp running, but I cannot get the the DSD plus. I I don't. That's beyond me. I got to get with Florida Man to sort that out. And that's the other thing is there's there's different SDR models, and I don't even understand all of the SDR models at this point. Yeah, I would like to get, and I it's, I know, like you said, there's a ton of them. I was looking. I want something um, that's really wideband, like uh, SDR sharp. What do we can see? I think two megabytes wide. Mm-hmm. It's all you can see, and I want to be able to see, you know, a hundred megabytes wide or something. So I don't know which ones we either program or SDRs actually will do that. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to have that. That's that's one of my negatives on the, the SDRs, just the bandwidth you can see of the frequency. I don't. I, I wish it was bigger. On the true SDXs, what's the power output with that? It's five watts if you got it hooked up to twelve volts. And then okay. I'm not sure what the it it'll you can run it off a, a USB side the USB side too. Um, mm. There's a, a the old school USB plugs on the side, but um, I'm not sure what the output on that is if it's one watt or what it gotcha. is. But Does, you can run on either of them. Do you need any type of like uh, like power moderator or, or middleman to talk from the battery to the true SDX, or is, is it safe to use just directly hooking it up? It's safe to use. I had a 12 volt, three amp hour Bino battery that I ran it off of the whole time, just plugged right in the top. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So See, it runs how, good. How long has this been out? The true SDX been out? I think it's been out a year. See, that's one of those so. things where the market adapts and just comes up with cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a cool little radio. Um, it doesn't, you don't, so you don't need a mic. You don't need a. It's got a, a 
a spot for a hand mic, but it actually has the hand mic a mic built in. So there's a push push to talk button right there on mm-hmm. the outside. So it's another piece of equipment you don't need. The speaker is awful. So if you were going to run it for voice, I'd definitely have some headphones. And from what I've seen, that's the way it was actually designed for the headphones. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It looks like the audio port and then the mic slash push to talk port is two separate ports. Yeah. Um, but as far as like if we're talking, you know, lightweight comm setups, that is, that's pretty nifty. Yeah, that thing is it's crazy. It's so tiny. Um, the you know, my probably my one negative is how far the uh, how far the knob sticks out because <laughs> that mm. part right there it, it does stick out so mm. um, i ended up putting it in my d-ball case just to, for protection then put it in the bag that's okay that makes sense yeah you can probably get like some sort of equivalent little pelican case or something for for that kind of stuff yeah um do you know if florida man or you has anybody done any other type of antenna configuration besides like a dipole uh, with this, like, has anybody used like one of the classic ten foot HF whip antennas that like you see in man pack radios? No, I don't. Not that I know of. I'm just curious, like, how well that would work. Not necessarily like cross country, but maybe more regional. If we're talking about trying to stay like truly lightweight in the field. Well, really, okay. So the, I think, and I I could be wrong on this, but when you're if you're trying to do any sort of uh, regional invis communications, you got to be horizontal. I don't know how much a, a vertical whip will work. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, because because what you're doing what you're doing is for an Invis antenna, um, and it's nothing special. So mm-hmm. don't I mean for anyone listening, don't go to these radio shops and spend five hundred dollars on an Invis antenna because <laughs> because you're just getting ripped off. An Invis mm-hmm. antenna is a dipole, which is the easiest, cheapest antenna to make, and it's lowered down. You know, the, the radio theory is one quarter to one eighth wavelength off the ground. Mm-hmm. But really, if you can get it six feet off the ground, you're going to have Invis contact. And what it's doing is it's it's reflecting that signal more off the ground and straight up into the air rather mm-hmm. than skipping across the atmosphere. So when you got a vert, anytime you put a vertical in, the takeoff angle of your signal is actually different. And it's it's a lot more, it, you end up getting, you end up getting further, you DX with a vertical antenna. Okay, so the so the vertical like the whip antennas are only good for the more longer distance transmissions. Yeah, if you're going to have it on HF, most of the time people get longer transmissions. Interesting. I used them, but when I was a radio operator in the Marine Corps, but I didn't understand what the hell it did or what it was. I was just I mean, told to do things. You're still going to have the ground wave effect, so mm-hmm. you you still might make some local contacts, but for true Invis, it's a it's a horizontal dipole, and that's what you're going for. Mm-hmm. That's um, just. Sorry, I'll say I have no. I haven't tried many verticals. I do have a, a chameleon vertical, but mm-hmm. I haven't messed. I, I think I, when I tried it one time, vertical trying to get back to the house, and it was. I mean, it was awful. The only part that it just kind of sucks, like if you're on that forty or eighty eighty meter band because you're trying to stay somewhat local, is that you're still setting up, you know, anywhere from fifty to one hundred and twenty five foot dipole. So if we're talking, if we're talking, exactly right. If we're talking more gorilla comms, and you're you're potentially exposing yourself, if you're like let's say you have a fire team in the woods, you know you've set up a small patrol base, you know you're exposing yourself by taking the time to set up that dipole, you know tie it, maybe tie it off two ends of a tree. Um, you know, that's that's a, that's quite the distance to, to cover at that point. So you really got you really got to strategically plan when you're going to try and whip out the HF comms. Yeah, you really do. It's uh, it's it's n- not nothing real quick. That's for sure. And stringing up a hundred, yeah. Look, it's like, uh, the eighty meter is almost one hundred and thirty feet. So that's mm-hmm. a huge antenna. It's really why you don't see a lot of guys running on one hundred and sixty meters. Is because yeah. of the size of the antenna. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. Um. So yeah, you're exactly right. Trying to trying to string that up in a in a tactical situation is difficult. So for guys that for that don't know about constructing dipoles, um. You know, obviously, based on the band that you're trying to talk on, there's a general there's a general uh, formula that gets you what your dipole length should be. If someone has a dipole set up for, let's say, 100, uh, say, a uh, 80 meter, and they're in that 135 foot um, section at that point, just trying to cover the whole band, 
could they also run 40 meter off of that larger 80 meter dipole antenna you set up? Um, like, no. is the general is the general rule can you can go up but not down? Yeah, you know, I've never really, I've never SWR'd it to see to standing wave ratio to see what it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you if you got like my my one radio has an SWR sweeper, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll just I'm just giving you an example. Um, I've got a off center fed eighty to ten meter uh, dipole strung up at my house, and I ran this. SWR sweep through the AM bands. So uh, I don't know where they start, but 600 megahertz or 600 kilohertz up to one megahertz. Mm-hmm. And I actually, that antenna was actually resonant, where it means it would broadcast without burning the radio up or harm anything at 631 kilohertz, hmm. even though it wasn't made for that. Interesting. Yeah. So you, if you, if you have an SWR meter, you can kind of check to see, um, I've done the same with, uh, I think I put a video out on that. I built a, a dipole cut for the MERS frequency 151.82. Mm-hmm. And then when I went up to 460 megahertz, it was actually resonant on that. It had mm-hmm. a good a good SWR. Interesting. I personally, if I put up an 80 meter dipole, I just run it on 80. I don't, I don't run a 40 on it. I just don't mess with it. I cut them for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to jump bands, want to jump bands or try to use one one antenna for multiple bands, I, I try to go with the off-center fed dipoles. You said, I, so, you said something about burning up the radio, and it's something I don't know about. If you're trying to transmit on a dipole that's going to be way too big for the band you're on or way too small, is that where you risk burning up your unit? Yeah, and it's probably going to be the the smaller the antenna is, the more you're going to get that back radiation and back heat into your radio. Gotcha. It's always a little bigger is safe than sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, you I mean, really the antennas really need to be resonant where they're pushing out all the, no matter what it is, doesn't have to be just HF, but where they're pushing out, trying to push out all the power is actually getting out of the antenna. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's why we cut them for the wavelength you know the frequency and the wavelength they are sure. that's why there's a formula so it's better to just pre-cut and kind of stage like in a bag and whatever band you're going to try and transmit on you just pull that equivalent out and then you set that one up yes will it will being like in the woods like if you're trying to tie off from trees will, will, will the trees really affect that as much like it would like uhf like uhf really doesn't like trees yeah, I think it affects it some. I can't give you a real answer on that because I live in the land where there is no trees. Mm. It is straight right where I'm out here is straight desert, and I have had uh, my experience out here is completely different than what I've had in other places. You know, that are, are well, I, that class I did uh, in the Midwest, I had some severe differences in uh, efficiency of using the same equipment from here to there. Mm. Uh, Radio signals seem to travel up here in Wyoming quite well. Oh, yeah. Nice, flat, open land. Yeah. And uh, I was down south, and it was pretty flat still, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's the trees or whatever, but using some of the same uh, antenna setups I've used here and got five miles out of easy, I could. We weren't getting, we weren't even getting two miles down there. Mm-hmm. You know, and now it's VHF. I don't think it, they affect super bad HF. Mm-hmm. But but I have no experience with HF in in the dense trees, so I couldn't tell you that. Yeah, I'm in Kentucky, so it's it's nothing but rolling hills and dense wooded areas. You're gonna so, get to test that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's it's a hard it's hard enough with VHF, even with a good quality radio, good antenna, and even if you're standing on a hill, it's still a crapshoot whether you might hit a mile and a half or so. Yeah. Uh, just because it's this just the way the land is. It's just the, the elevation changes constantly. There is no flat land. Not until you go all the way down, like near the Mississippi River, like way down west. I need to get out there one of these days. You should. It's nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't truly understand. Whether it's just through ignorance, and I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that in the literal sense, um, or or whatever it might be, is that people don't understand how much your environment dictates your comms oh yeah it's crazy and I've, I've had some people message me and like wanting me to you know want me to tell them what they should do or how things will work with them and i'm like i can't tell you because i 
I don't know what your environment's like. Mm-hmm. I mean, you I was like you literally have to go out there and pick your equipment and test it and see what will work if that's going to work for you. Because I out here, what works for me definitely does not work for like some like you. I could tell you know if I told you this works and you and you're out there in Kentucky, it's probably not going to work, especially with VHF and UHF. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I do tell people is you just got to go out and test it in your own area. We've talked about dipoles a lot, and I probably should have brought this up earlier. Um, and just in general terms, what is a dipole for those that, that don't know, that have no idea how to construct their own antennas? Well, uh, a dipole is a positive and negative. So, so on your radios, um, if you take the antenna off, there's a center pin in the middle of that. You can look down there, and then there, and then there's an insulator, and then on the outside, the threads. The center pin is the positive side of your radio. That's where the uh, the energy is going to be going, and then the outside is the negative. And a dipole is just an extension of that. Um, it, it, it makes the antenna better. Um, so you would run a coax cable out of your radio, and then. Um, Back in the old days, what they used to do is make dipoles. They actually cut the end of the coax off, so that you didn't have a, you didn't have the threads on the end there. They'd cut the end of the coax off. They'd strip it down, and they'd take the insulated, or they'd strip down the insulation. They'd take the jacketed outside layer, and they would solder a wire to that, and then they'd solder a wire to the inside, and then they'd spread it straight across, opposite, you know, opposite directions horizontally. And that's actually a that's how they used to make dipoles. Hmm. It's just a yeah, it's a simple antenna, and it's really one of the best antennas you can build. Yeah, one of the best. It's not, it's not as good as a, a a Yagi, which is a Yagi is a dipole with a director and a reflector on there, but that's one of the best, most efficient antennas we can build, and that's mm-hmm. what most people run. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really you could get even all of the supplies you need for it, just like on Amazon. All you okay. need is is a good copper wire, a spool of copper wire, um, you know, some sort of like coax split adapters, uh, an insulator uh, for the end caps, and then uh, I would say a good pair of like wire splicers, and that's really it. Yeah, that's real simple. I, uh, you know, you can if you're um, other than the dual post BNC adapters, which is what I use mainly use for making mine. I which are too. on Amazon, uh, you can make everything from a from your local hardware store or uh, the feed store or whatever. Because I've made them out of electric fence wire, you know, solid electric fence wire. Um, I've made them out of speaker wire, mm-hmm. uh, Home Depot, just any you know, 14 gauge wire. You can make them out of that. So, um, yeah, you can do pretty much anywhere. You can find some wire. You could just scrounge up wire. Uh, an old uh, an old extension cord that was as long as it was long enough you could cut uh, you could cut you uh, the wire out of that and make an antenna with that also so mm-hmm. just pretty the, well, these antennas are really simple and they shouldn't cost much you know yeah real simple yeah in the marine corps in the early days when i was a radio operator i had uh like a little uh admin pouch on my pack yeah and it was just full i bet you it was full of a hundred just miscellaneous connectors and adapters and like the dual post uh, uh, connectors for the HF. Like it was just full of miscellaneous stuff. And I've kind of started to recreate that. I've actually got a bin now where I have it all like split up and categorized and labeled and whatnot, just acquiring adapters and just stocking them. Yeah, I've got a pile of them too. And I'm, and if you're going to do this calm stuff, you definitely need it. You're always digging through like, oh, I need an adapter for this and that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I end up, I got a whole pile of them too. Yeah, HF is definitely a whole other beast, and I think it intimidates a lot of people, but you sh- you should just dive in. Um, just message people on Instagram. You know, uh, you, you can't expect someone to give you all of their time all day to answer your questions, but most guys are willing to answer questions. I know everybody I've talked to has, has always been super helpful. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've helped out a lot of people, and I don't mind it, you know, normal questions. <laughs> Not so, and uh, and then if somebody you know already has their ham license and they're like, hey, I want to try to make contact with you, I'm all about that too. Mm-hmm. So, but and yeah, go, definitely. And go to classes, you know, just like you go to a shooting class or something. Go to a comms class if you have no comms knowledge. 
Like if you, like Mojave Repeater does it, you do it. I'm sure there's some other guys uh, that do comms classes. Go go to a class and just pick people's brains and just get that baseline knowledge. I think that's the biggest thing is just getting that initial exposure. Oh yeah, yeah. Comms classes are they're you definitely need it, especially if you don't know anything and you want to learn. You're going to learn a lot. You're probably going to have your mind your mind overwhelmed. YouTube is great for information, but one thing I've noticed with comms is there's a lot of stereotypical ham radio operators that make 30-minute videos with about 90 seconds of information in it. <laughs> yeah. This, la- this last class I did last week, it was pretty funny because they're like, everything that they asked, what I'm like, you know, we're like, well, how far will that go or what will it do? And I'm like, let's find out. You know, Yeah, you just got to do. Yeah, that's what this class is for. It's like, this is not, we're not in here, and my, my class is not ham radio class either, you mm-hmm. know, but um, I'm like, we, we're we going to go out and we're going to find out. You guys got questions, what, what will that do? We're going we're gonna to see. So, and so they were, we were outside quite a bit. And com, it's funny because comms is like the one job where if like the weather's weird or the atmosphere is weird, you can just be like, yep, this comms doesn't work today. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and that's an acceptable answer. <laughs> like, especially in HF. You're just oh, like, yeah. someone's like, well, why ain't it working? And I'm like, well, it's just how it is. The atmosphere today is not good. Yeah, you see the sky? It's skying too hard today. You just can't do it. Yeah. I'll tell you a weird thing. This had, doesn't really have to do, but it has to do with weather. Is, and I didn't know this. This is something I didn't know. Um, I would pull my coax off my HF radio. I leave my antenna strung up all the time, mm-hmm. but I'd pull my coax off. And uh, anytime we'd get a storm coming over, a, a, you know, a, a rainstorm, that thing would gather static electricity and it would shoot sparks out of that coax and ground and ground it. Hmm. And it would just and it was crazy and it was hitting my uh, desk and then. You'd get shocked if you touched the desk and it's just jumping out of that coax. I didn't know that would happen. No one ever told me that. I never yeah. read that anywhere. But any any thunderstorms that come across here, it gathers enough static electricity out of the air that it sends it down the coax. And it was sending it. I mean, if it's, when it's connected to the radio, it was sending it into the radio. So is that something people need to be aware of as far as, like, disconnecting their radio possibly from their antenna during the peaks of storms? Yeah, you want to do that. Or what I ended up doing was uh, I bought an inline ground a grounding device. I'm not sure what it was called. And so now it's in between there. It plug, it's screwed into the radio and then the, the coax is screwed into it. And then I also, then I, I hooked a wire and ran it into the ground that I have everything else grounded. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that would happen. I would come in and, and it was shocked the crap out of me one day. Cause I was I like, what is shit, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, what's going on? And yeah, just static electricity building up and it has to go somewhere and it goes out the end of the coax. Some lessons just have to be learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I did like, you know, other people did. I asked some guys that knew more about more about it than me and they told me, yeah, that's that's a common thing. As far as the uh, like the digital softwares go, the data side of HF, do you have a favorite program right now or do you kind of just experiment with all of them? Um, wait. I was mainly using JSA Call just because of the auto reply. That's what, and so if you look at a lot of my uh, content, it's going to be JSA Call, mm-hmm. and and I use it, but it's really slow, and yeah. so it's 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 not that great. I've been messing with Vara AC, which I really like because you can send actually send files with that. So if you had a file on your computer, you mm-hmm. wanted to send it someone else, you can send it. I don't. It's it's good for one on one communications, but mm-hmm. um, like. Last night I would did I chatted with four guys off Instagram and it had to be you know just a single conversation. Had we been over on JSA call, we actually could have all been talking and mm. seeing was you could have had a group conversation over HF. So the same like I said before, trade offs. Um, yeah. Um, Var AC, you can do a broadcast, so you could broadcast where everyone could see it. You can put people's call signs. There is that option, but so I don't really have a favorite. I I, I did a lot with uh. FL Digi, and I think you should have it on your computer because it does a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But as for like, we FL Digi will send messages and pictures, but you almost have to be at the computer to get it mm-hmm. uh, because like it sends. I know it says send some in blocks, and uh, if you're not there to say I didn't get block one and two and send it and reply back to the other radio, that you won't get the message. Yeah, and, uh, yeah Matt with, from Tactical Comms was telling me about that. Yeah, and with VAR AC. You know, if you get them, if you can get, if 
you've got your pro the other guy's got their radio program to to change frequency to get off the calling frequency you could dump that file in there it don't matter if he's there or not mm-hmm. now with the sending files can you still uh utilize like the raspberry pi and do that kind of temporary encryption with that you should be able to well you should be able to run pgp or pte encrypt you you know put a if you encrypted text text or the file you should be able to run that and so send it now i i don't know i don't know how good that is. i haven't tried i mean i haven't tried it because you're not allowed to send yeah. an actual uh, encrypt a file send it over var ac and then decrypt it with pgp i have pgp tool on my computer so mm-hmm. i haven't tried it i don't know how good that work but if i encrypted the text and then pasted that on a i will tell you i i uh the notepad would work better on Windows rather than the, a Word document. I I seen that firsthand. Notepad sends faster, just you know, over bar AC than a than a document off Word. It's yeah, so it's I, probably a less complex file. Yeah, yeah. Um, me and a, me and a guy from Colorado actually swapped files because I hadn't done it, so I wanted to try. Um, so if you took, we'll just we we'll use PTE, Paranoid Text Encryption. You wrote up a report. You need to send someone, and we encrypted it, copied it, pasted it on the note notepad file. And then sent it over. He should easily be able to open that up, copy it, and paste it back to PTE and decrypt it. Interesting. It, you know, it should that should be no problem whatsoever. Um, and with and with the digital side or the data, I hate using the word digital because it's kind of confusing to some people. With the data side of HF, you know, I don't I don't truly know this cause just because I'm new to HF. Can you just accidentally stumble ac- across somebody's data transmissions? Is that really a thing that you're really worried about? Well, yeah, you'll. I mean, you're, and they kind of get. They all got. You know, they all got standing operating procedures or and frequencies where they're at. So mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna hear it. You know, I mean, if 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 you're operating on that, if you're operating on those frequencies, if you're like JSA call, you can easily tune somewhere else and and talk to each other. But yeah, someone could stumble across you guys talking. But well, even on the data side. Yeah, you hear it. Um, I mean, if someone's just scrolling through listening, you'll, you'll hear it. And if you're, you know, most of us know who've done it enough that we know what programs are running. Mm-hmm. Like, we would know the sound of it. Like, if someone was using FL Digi, and then FL Digi has a bunch of different data, data modes, and they're mm-hmm. running PSK31, and I heard it, I would know exactly as soon as I heard it what digital mode that was. So you would be able to set yours to that and, and catch that message if it comes across again? Yes. Interesting. Because yeah. I, I know that much of it. But if you didn't have the PTE, it wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do it, correct? Oh, yeah. If you were sending the encrypted stuff, I, yeah, I, I, would, I would hear it. I wouldn't, but it wouldn't pick it up. Gotcha. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, well, I would pick, I might hear it up and pick it up, but I don't, wouldn't know what it was because it was encrypted. Mm-hmm. So you could do that. Yeah, there's, no one's going to get through that. And that's, that's. I think you know we've all talked a little bit. That's about the only option right now for mm-hmm. uh, you know secure messaging over the over the HF. Sure, because I always was under the impression like with FL, FTL Digi or uh, you know any of them that you would set a call sign as your receiver through that, and there'd be some computer magic between them, so that only that person through the program itself would receive that. Like no, uh, no, like people wouldn't be able to just randomly jump in so long as they set to the right software or whatever. Like you're talking about. No, no, that that would if, be cool. Yeah, um, Vara AC is the closest one to that. I'll tell you that right now. Vara AC. So, um, someone said there's a way to do it. We'd have to ask some of the guys that might know a little more. Vara AC. What happens is, um, you pull the program up, and you can send out beacons or whatever. But I can type. We'll just say I type your call sign in, and I can hit connect. And let's say I and, it, and you're on the radio, you got Variety running, and we mm. connect. There is no, as far as I can tell, like I said, someone might have to tell me how they can do it. There's no way for them to see our two-way conversations um, because you're on the, you, you, I'm on there right now. I was on there last night with other tons of other guys talking, not just us. And you don't see the other people's conversations. It actually is the privatest one there is, is this far AC. Um, if you're on JSA Call or FL Digi and you're up and running with them, you see everyone's conversations. 
not just really? your own. Interesting. Yeah. You see everyone. If you're on those frequencies, you see everyone. VARAC is the closest to being a private, we'll just say private conversation back and forth. So if you send, whether it's just text or you send a file that's encrypted over one of the other ones, like FCL Digi or whatever, if, if there's other people talking on that frequency and they're seeing the normal conversation, then all of a sudden I throw in like an encrypted text, what does that appear on the screen as? Just is, gibberish, is it, basically? Ex yeah, gibberish, but it's exactly what you sent is what's going to appear on the screen. Gotcha. So if you did a one-time pad, you know, with blocks of five five numbers over JSA call or FL Digi, that exactly what you send is going to be what everybody else sees. There's no mixing of that. Gotcha. So how can you utilize the same encryption key time and time again? Like if like if I I and another you know guy say, hey, for tonight when we do this, we're gonna use just this encryption key. Can we send that same encryption key back and forth and that's just our pre established key? Yes. That should and, be how that goes. With yeah. PT with PTE, you just come up with a password or passphrase. So you two would both have to know that passphrase. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is you, each party would have to know that that passphrase or that code, or the key, without yeah. with, without displaying it over the air. Like it would need to be established before you actually get on HF. Correct. Yeah. Just like a normal regular one-time pad where you have to hand the key to the guy, it would be just like that. It already already have to be established. All about pre-planning and SOPs, folks. That is correct. And that's definitely something because you should never. It's like uh, what I tell guys with their portables, you know, especially with ECT selling the XTS 5000s now, is that you shouldn't just be out running around blasting your operational channels or your encryption keys just to do a random training. Like use a miscellaneous frequency that is open to use or use a merge channel or something unencrypted. Because if you're just blasting away your encryption and you're putting that out into the sphere of, of, of listen, in a sense, we'll call it, that's not good OPSEC. And I guess it would kind of come the same thing with HF is write down that passcode, put it in an envelope and seal it and set it aside for a break in case of emergency type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, when I do the, you know, I do teach classes and stuff, I'm like, we're just, you know, stay on the MERS. If you want to, you know, and like you said, you want to talk to your buddies and just mess around, just stay on the license free. You know, it, it you know what to do when it's go time. Mm -hmm. That's what I was telling guys. Just, just train on MERS. Right? Yeah. You're more likely not going to run into anybody on MERS anyway. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else on MERS in three years on the civilian side of training on MERS. We, uh, that, that class I just taught actually is the first time I've heard someone, he, uh, the guy out in the field when we were doing a uh, test in the jungle antennas, he actually heard some, some people talking on the MERS frequency. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That was the first time I had too. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to learn with HF. I've got a lot to learn. I, I've been thinking about getting a separate tough book or a tablet for specifically for running HF. Yeah. Because the one I have right now I use for like programming the XTSs and I keep a lot of like private files and whatnot on it because it's completely air-gapped. So I've thought about getting a different one for doing this stuff. Yeah, that's, I got the dedicated Microsoft for my my Zygu, and then I've got that uh, Evolve. Now I'm just using for the True SDX. How do you and like I'll, that tablet? Which one? The, the Microsoft. Yeah, the Microsoft one. The one that was it's, like you said was like 120 or something. Oh, that, that's the Evolve. Oh, the Evolve. Evolve Maestro or Mastro. Yeah, I actually like that. I let that I let that run two weeks also along with that True True SDX. So they both ran together. There's one. I think it's like the. Let me pull up eBay and look at it. There was a Panasonic uh tablet i saw the other day that was like 149 or something i was like that's not too shabby yeah i was uh, looking at the tablets too but i'm like man i've got just as like i've radios i've got i was like i got so many computers already i'm like <laughs> i gotta i gotta stop i gotta stop buying radios too this is i've got too many i know comms is one of those things where it's like the the possibilities of doing different things is endless with different equipment and you just <laughs> it's like pokemon you're trying to catch them all yeah, this Panasonic Toughpad FZG1 10 inch is 149. I was like, that would make like if I if I match that with like a True SDX and I put that in a pack, like that's a real lightweight compact load. 
yeah, yeah, that's way that'd be way nice. And tough books are durable. That's one thing I'll give tough books is that they they're monsters. Yeah, I've never messed with one, so but yeah, I was looking at them while everyone else was buying them too. I was looking at them. I'm like, I should buy one, but I didn't. Um, you, know, you, you don't own any tough books? I don't. I do not. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about one thing because I've heard a complaint, and I'm sure. just going to call signs. All right, we're just we're going back to the tactical realm. Mm-hmm. Um, these programs, these digital programs, you got to put call signs in. Um, you guys can make people can make their call signs up as long as they put a number in there somewhere. It's going to take the call sign. Yeah. So so even using ham radio software, I mean, if you really needed to use it in a tactical realm, just just make up a call sign, put a number in there somewhere, and and it, it you can use it. And you do need them in there because you know a little bit. So like with uh, VAR AC, you had your other team you were trying to make contact. If you didn't, they didn't have a call sign in there, you couldn't get a hold of them. So you you do need that call sign, um, mm-hmm. but it does not have to be an FCC one if you were using them in a emergency say, situation or something. I was going to say for those that aren't necessarily getting into this for for a hobby and to just make a ton of random contacts, does so long as they're being responsible in the air and whatnot, and they're not acting like jackass or or, or messing with people, you know, is just coming up with a call sign. And just minding your business and being responsible is just a, a safe way to a safe way to go. Um, I guess I guess professionally speaking, we have to tell people you should get a license. You should, you should get a license. Yeah. yeah. Um, because like if if you know SHTF situation, you're not necessarily. I, I probably would not use my FCC call oh, sign. No, no, like, no. All, like all those rules go out the door. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're just wanting to test something real quick, you could probably not get. No one would notice mm-hmm. if you, you know, like you said, being not interfering with anybody. The biggest thing with comms is just be responsible and be respectful, especially if you're not operating with like a license of any sort. Like, there's if you're not causing issues, nobody's gonna come after you, and the only people that are gonna come after you are just gonna be really angry ham radio operators. But there was a guy, uh, it was on 80 meters, I think this net shut down, And uh, but there was a net, I think it was out of California, I used to listen to it actually, and this guy would jam this net every single, I think they went like Tuesdays and Thursdays, and he jammed that net constantly for years. There was videos on YouTube and everything about it, and they turned him into the FCC and everything, and never, I, I don't think they ever took his license away. <laughs> and he just jammed this net constantly. Just it was ridiculous. Listen to it. It was out of hand. Listening to it, and then it, and, you know, a few other people joined in, and this net was constantly jammed. And this guy's putting his call sign out when he was jamming them too. I mean, he didn't even care. He was putting his call sign, and uh, you know, they didn't do anything for that. And that guy was actively trying to be a pain in the ass. So, is there a limited amount of FCC call signs for the for that realm? No. No, I don't think so. That's what I'm saying is if, if if you weren't causing a problem for like someone to look into you, nobody would ever know whether your call sign was an FCC call sign or something you made up. Well, I mean, if if you were talking to them, they look you they look it up. A lot of guys look at a lot of ham radio guys will look your call sign up. And they're at uh QRZ was it Q, hold on one second. Uh yeah, QRZ.com is how you look up people's call signs one way. Mm-hmm. And I actually have it on my phone and app. So if you were tra- talking to someone that was an actual radio operator, they might look that call sign up. Yeah. If you were talking to your other team that had just another made-up call sign, yeah, no one. More than likely, no one's going to look it up. But and then if they do look it up and they see it's not real, what are they going to do? Because you know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't go back. It doesn't link back to anybody. Yeah. No, it's not like the dude from Oregon is going to direction find you. Yeah, with a fake call sign in North Carolina or something. <laughs> yeah, they, they, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, if you were doing you operating like that, you know, and using a call sign and just to get back to your guys, no one's going to see that. Yeah, no, and that's no one of those pay attention. And that's one of those things that you know I always drive home with guys is don't step on other people's toes that are already you know if some radio from actual radio operator guys already talking on one frequency. Don't jump in there and try to do your own thing whatnot you know just go to find a frequency that that works for that time of day and and do your thing yeah um one of the classes i took 
it's north of here and it's his training facilities uh, on the reservation but it's out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and the the instructor then the owner he's like man we don't we can't key up on the, the ham radio band or they'll get us and i started laughing because i'm like there's no ham radio guys out here listening i mean we're in the middle of we're in the middle of nowhere like they're not ham radio guys listening to every part of their ham radio spectrum waiting to pounce on you i was like it's that's not how that goes i was like we probably could talk on here all day and no one would ever we'd never hear from anybody mm-hmm. you know we're just laughing because he, he thought that he thought the the ham radio fuds are out there with their directional antennas waiting to waiting to pounce at any moment if you keyed up and i'm like it's, it's not like that dude that is the that's kind of like the old thing that goes back to like you know everybody you meet on the internet's a fed it's just one of those rumors that spread and everyone just believes it <laughs> yeah until you realize that that's not true it's it's not true i mean i'm not saying he wouldn't someone might not hear it but the, for the fact of you keen up and saying a few words there's nobody going to jump on you yeah especially if again if you sound like you know what you're doing and you don't sound like you're a baby deer trying to figure out how to use this radio for the first time yeah you'd be fine you're going to be all right. Yeah. It ain't that serious. And if someone does tell you, whatever, screw them. <laughs> yeah, because you you don't you don't have anything linked to you. Quit broadcasting. You can't get DF. A lot of guys don't understand that, too. If you're not broadcasting, it's not that easy to get DF. What are they going to do? You know, Take away the license you don't have to begin with? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come take my Baofeng away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I get – wow, I've never really thought about that. Can you technically do – I guess the Balfangs aren't capable of, of the digital, are they? No. The, da- the data side. No, no. I didn't think so. No, that's the – with Balfangs, you do the APRS cable and the tablet with like FL Digi on or something. So it can work through FTL Digi? Yeah, I've, I've ran that. You just – you pick an APRS cable and plug it into the Balfang and then you run the the – Android version of and FL Digi. I've mm. actually ran the tablet or the computer. I plugged it into my computer and got it to go, but I had a harder time doing that over the over the Baofangs. You probably could do the same exact thing with like JSA Call and those other ones through FM. But I know Vara has an FM an FM uh, version too. I think it's Vara FM for that one, which would be plugged into you know any FM radio. Gotcha. But yeah, I've used that. Uh, and it's called and FL message for the tablets over the over the Baofangs. I mean, it works all right, um, but it's you know just a compromise of trying to put something together and get it to work. I guess is what I'd say. Mm-hmm. I didn't. We had a couple problems last weekend because I was showing the showing the class how to do that, and it was working fine. And then it decided it didn't want to decode on its own. I saw you know just I was like I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with that. I don't know why it's not decoding. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there is that option. So many options. Tons of things you can experiment with. Yeah, and I've tried a lot, and a lot of them don't work. Uh, I tried <laughs> I tried, I tried rat, Rattlegram. Rattlegram's another tablet uh, digital mode, digital print. It's, it's its own one. And I didn't have very good luck with Rattlegram at all. So, mm-hmm. and it's and it, it holds, it kind of, Rattlegram's kind of, sucks because it holds all your messages on the tablet so you got to get to like i don't know the exact number because i i actually emailed them about it you got to get to like a hundred messages on the tablet then it starts deleting it there's no way to delete them yourself mm. which in a you know security wise that's not good no that's not good at all no but there is that that one too it's like i've messed with that um mm. yeah well, I appreciate you coming on to, to talk HF and whatnot. Hopefully, we've named enough kind of. Oh, there goes the. I can hear them. You can hear them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I live like my house almost sits like right on the main road, unfortunately. And I live on the road that goes down to town. So when they drive from town to town, I kind of sit here. I'm, I'm stuck in the middle. Oh, man. Um, but. But yeah, thanks for coming on to talk, HF. Hopefully, we've we've named enough stuff, enough radios, enough methods that it piques guys' interest and they kind of start diving in on their own end. And you know, the comms awareness continues to spread. Yeah, I'm. I appreciate you having me, and I'm I'm trying to spread it as much as I can myself. So yeah, you've got a great channel too. Thank uh, you. Do you have? I know. I know all of us com guys are like kind of really far spread out. Is there anybody up near you that's like in the the comms chats that we're in, 
or you kind of just lone ranger in it up there? Um, Resilient Calms, he's in Idaho, and Tataluna, Tataluna Idaho is in Idaho. Oh, okay. So those those guys are up there. Oh, and uh, HX, HXC, those guys, I think they're in Idaho too. So they're the closest to me. There is like a little pocket of guys up there in that like Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, across a, a wide spectrum of niches. We're, uh, we're in the redoubt. <laughs> hmm. Well, buddy, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Hopefully you guys find this beneficial. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, guys. That's all I've got for episode 22, Intro to HF Communications. As always, train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Yo! Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward no! Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only